we're going to be looking at a couple of stories, overlaying a couple of stories um, to see if we can get an even bigger picture of one. <clears throat> but before I do that, a personal story. So this summer, I had a sabbatical. So in April, May, and June, I took time out of my church leadership responsibilities. So my husband and I have been leading a church for just over 20 years, coming up to 21, actually. And um, in that time, he's managed to get two sabbaticals, but, but this is my first one. It's just, yeah, it's just wrong, right? It's just wrong. No, it's, it's completely right. It's all fine. Um, but anyway, so I had this sabbatical, and most of the time during my sabbatical was spent writing. So my daughter, who was doing her GCSEs exams, the one that gets the results tomorrow, she was sat one end of our dining table studying, and I was the other end writing the next book. And I don't know who was more stressed at different points, but it was a really, really special time that we got to share together. Anyways, we did all this writing and I did all that stuff. And then I took a trip to the States. Um, Tim's actually from America, so I was partly visiting family at the end, but I was really going over for a conference and a little bit of the opportunity to do some ministry over there, which is an incredible privilege. Anyway, for the final week, I had um, much more leisure time than the rest of the time in the States. And um, one of Tim's things that he said to me, um, he's not here to defend this. He would defend the way I'm telling this story. I'll tell you that now for nothing. Um, but one of the things Tim said to me was, during your sabbatical, please take a retreat. Like, make sure you go away on your own with the Lord. Basically, we're investing in you, Helen, for this sabbatical. And if you come back as exhausted at the end, then we're going to want our money back. And he really wanted to say, okay, you need to be changed. Now, what he meant was, you know, by the presence and the love of the Lord, but he, it really came out with, like, you need to go on retreat because you need to change. Um, so anyway, the plan was, while I was in America, was I was going to go on retreat up into the mountains. Now, my in-laws live in Colorado Springs. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and so I get to go and visit them in the mountains of Colorado Springs. Has anyone ever been there? I tell you, if God ever called me, he wouldn't need to say it twice. Do you know what I mean? It would be like, I wouldn't say, really, Lord? It would be like, okay, packed. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I was in Colorado Springs. And I, I borrowed my father-in-law's car to drive up to the mountains to have 36 hours thereabouts on a fasting retreat. And it was really obvious it was fasting. There were signs everywhere telling you, do not eat and compromise the mission of this place. It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm scared to. Um, but anyway, it was a fasting retreat, which is fun at the altitude. Because you're dizzy without food and dizzy with altitude. So it's a, it's a dizzying experience. But anyway, I, this was well out of my comfort zone. I don't mind driving on my own. And I don't, well, I like mountains. But driving into the mountains in a foreign country on my own, where I was absolutely assured that I would be eaten by bears, was taking me outside of my comfort zone. So where there was a high alert. When I got to this place, it was beautiful. This I was in this tiny little cabin in the middle of nowhere. Like, there was nobody around at all. So if I was going to be eaten by bears, for sure, no one would realize for about 36 hours until I didn't turn up back at the in-laws. But I wasn't eaten by bears, clearly. And on this retreat, I felt God say to me, okay, Helen, we're going to have some private space time together. Have you ever had those moments where God says, like, come right away with me? And this retreat place had what they call prayer caves. So set into the mountain. Imagine this great big mountain thing going on here, which was all natural. Cut into those mountains and kind of bricked out with then a wooden door made were these prayer caves that were meant for complete and utter privacy. So I thought, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to go into these prayer caves. That meant I had to leave my cabin walk, you know, and trek towards these prayer caves, which of course meant I could be eaten by bears on the way. Get to the prayer cave, and I, there's like this closed door. No one is around. 
And I opened this door of this prayer cave. And at this point, I had a come to Jesus moment. Have you ever had one of them? It's just like, <sighs> and because, okay, so this is a dark space. I open the door and the light shines into this little prayer cave for the first time. I don't know in how long. Could have been weeks since the last person opened the door. I mean, there was no bodies in there. Like, there was no dead people. But, you know, I don't know when the last person opened this door. So I opened this door. And at this point, every single living creature that had been, not bears, small things, that had been enjoying the privacy and the darkness of this prayer cave decided to stop their intercession and encourage mine because they started running around all this cave. I was like, oh my gosh, and the flood of light coming in. At this point, I had a discussion with Jesus. When you said you needed me in the prayer cave, Lord, what do you mean by in the prayer cave is outside the prayer cave good enough and I honestly felt say no I want you to go in because I want you to leave some junk there Helen now I wasn't carrying litter and that sort of junk but there was an invitation from the Lord have you ever had one of them when he says child you're carrying too much stuff that you don't need to carry anymore you're carrying some burdens. Your hands and heart and head are full of stuff that actually I don't need you to carry anymore. And I want you to come into this prayer cave. And I'm standing there. Honestly, I am not brave. I don't even necessarily want to be brave when it's like the carpet is moving with creepy crawlies. But nonetheless, I step into this prayer cave and I turn with my back to the cave. Like you could have sat on this kind of stone bench. I was not sitting down. Like things are crawling. So I was standing there and I put my, I left the door open and I had my face to the door so I could see light. Like it just felt like there was safety. And I knew if something landed on me, that's the way I'm running. <laughs> so, so I was standing there and started a bit of breathing deep, basically to try to stop hyperventilating because I was really like, <laughs> you know, there was lots of bugs. Somebody in here, who does not like bugs? Be with me on this. Feel my pain. So I was there and I just started praying through and letting go of some stuff with God until I got to the point where I felt, okay, I've done enough in the cave and I could get outside the cave. And then I sat outside the cave to calm down and started journaling. And at this point, this is what the Lord said to me. Remember when Jesus went into the cave, he was wrapped up in grave clothes. Those grave clothes he needed for that season because he was dead. They were suitable for that season. They were part of that season. They represented death. But you know what happened, and you know the stories. When Jesus came out of the tomb and the disciples came back to the tomb and they discovered it empty, the grave clothes were said to be folded and left. The headpiece was folded, left on the side. And they were folded because he didn't need them anymore. They were no longer the hallmark of the next season because he was stepping into life. So he left behind the grave clothes. And the father said to me in those moments of the prayer cave, Helen, you can leave behind some stuff that was suitable for the season that you've been walking in, but now they are no longer suitable for the season that you are heading into. So you can leave them here with me. Tonight, we're going to be leaving some stuff behind. We're going to be emptying our hands, putting some stuff down, because tonight we're going to be stepping into the new season together. We're going to be stepping into the purposes that Christ has for you as an individual child of the Father, as a member of Elam Church, as part of the whole Elam movement. There is a new season coming, and you're going to be stepping into it, but to be able to step into the new season, you have to be able to put some stuff down because they weren't necessarily wrong, but they were for the old season. And there is something new ahead. Is that okay?
Okay, if you're up for it, let's pray. Father, I thank you that Jesus left his grave clothes behind because he didn't need them anymore. I thank you that nothing could keep Jesus down. And I thank you that because he stepped into life, we step into a freedom and abundance of life. And Father, I thank you that you can help us overcome even the fear of, of spiders and critters and all these horrible things that move around if that's what it takes for us to put down stuff that we don't need for the future. Holy Spirit, move amongst us now and show us what you want us to take hold of as we move forward. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Matthew's Gospel. It will come up on the screens. I'm going to read from the NLT, um, which will be on the ones on the screen. But if you want your own versions, then why don't you grab it? We're going for Matthew 25. And we're going to be looking at a parable that I think is probably familiar to you. I'm hoping it is, because I'm hoping there's some familiarity that we can just bring a freshness to, and we're going to then lay another story on top of this story to see if we can get an even bigger picture of something I believe the Father has for us this evening. So I'm going to read from Matthew 25, verse 14. Here goes. Again, says Jesus, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with the two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest out of it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they have given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Let's pause there. It's uncomfortable reading at some parts, isn't it? 
Like, what a mean master. Like, the poor dude was scared of you. He just hit it. It's like it's, it's not untouched. I mean, it is untouched, but it's, it's at least back. Why is the master being so mean? And Jesus wants us to understand something about the generosity of his father. That we need to not misunderstand the meanness with. So let's just walk our way through it for a little bit. First of all, you've got this master and he gives everybody something. He entrusts all of his servants, the three that are known. He entrusts every single one of them with something. His wealth. He didn't need to do this. He got to do this. He chose to do this. He chose to give his wealth to his servants. And everybody had something. Everybody was entrusted with a gift. Everybody had an opportunity with which they could do something with. This master was being generous out of his choice to everybody. And the beautiful thing about this master is the compassion he had on his servants. Because if you notice in the scripture, it says he gave according to their abilities. He didn't overwhelm them with stuff they couldn't cope with. He knew their capacity. He knew all of their capacities, and he gave according to their capacity. Even the one who only had one bag of silver, who did nothing with it, he knew the potential capacity of that servant, and it was well within his grasp to do something with this investment. Everybody had an opportunity on an equal playing field, if you like. Everybody had an opportunity, even if they were given different amounts according to their ability. That is generosity of the master. That is compassion of the master. Now, he didn't give them all the same because he knew they were all different. He didn't give them all the same. The master didn't give them all the same. He also didn't tell them what to do with the money. He gave them free choice. Do whatever you think is the response with what I'm giving you. There was no control placed on them. There was no limits placed on them. There were no rules and regulations placed on them. Just a generosity of gift given to them. And you see, as Jesus tells parables, he wants us to lean in and say, okay, What are you saying? Where are you taking us with this story? And in this story, he wants us to understand something of the Father's heart. As everyone is given an opportunity from the Father. Everyone is entrusted with something from the Father. Everyone is given a freedom to do what they choose to do with the Father. With no limits and no rules and no regulations that says, you can only use this gift in this way. We have no idea what these servants really did with this money. I mean, you know, Matthew grabs this story and he, you know, that Jesus said, and he's kind of saying, well, they invested it. We don't know what that means. We don't know what they did, but they did something with this money, something with the gifts they were given, something with the opportunities, and they all responded differently. So servant one and servant two were more similar. Servant one got straight on, immediately investing that which he'd been given. Servant two got straight on immediately. Servant three was fearfully motivated and lazy and wouldn't take any risks and buried it. Just took that gift that he'd been given, or she, and buried it, never to use it, never to look at it for a long time. Week after week, month after month, servant one and servant two were using and reinvesting and growing the gift that they'd been given. 
week after week, month after month, year after year maybe, servant three was said to have buried it and never looked at it again until the master came back and said, so how's it been going? How have you done with my wealth? Everything I gave you, what have you done with the gifts and the talents and the opportunities I gave you? Oh, I buried it. Nothing. And at this point, we have this dialogue between the master and the servant where the servant has some understanding of the master, but just used that as fear and couldn't see the opportunity that had been given, couldn't see the generosity that had been given, as if there was an entitlement maybe that, you know, of course I should have been given something if everybody's given something, but not any recognition, not any gratitude of, wow, you actually gave me a big bag of money. I had so much opportunity. And so you, you heard the story. It was taken away and given to those who had something more. Then there was this amazing party, and they all celebrated together. Now, we can understand this if we look at ourselves, not in terms of money and cash, although even those of us who have little have more than the majority of people in the world when it comes to money. But let's take our eyes off money, and let's lean into the language of talents and opportunities. Every single one of us has been given an opportunity by the Father to do something with what is in our hands. There was money, there was talents, there was an opportunity put into the hands of the servants. My question to you is, what is in your hands? And the beautiful thing is, you can't look at your neighbor and go, oh, I don't know, what's the correct answer? Because it's different for everybody. Everybody in this room, I guarantee, has been given an opportunity by the Father has been given some talents, has been given some passions, has been given an opportunity in a family, in a workplace, in a community, in a neighborhood, in a nation, in a church, in a whatever context you want to look at. There is an opportunity. There are people in your world who you could speak to. There are people in your world you could reveal Jesus to. There are people in your world that you could love and serve. Every single one of you. We've heard already, you know, Daniel's going for the worship team. That's his next opportunity. Dance maybe after that. You know, there's... (laughs) (laughs) everybody has a talent now we might not all be able to sing like Steph can and thank you Jesus we can't all sing like Daniel can joke it's a joke I was told that actually in Ireland people you know they prefer to have like mean banter that's what I've been told to you know to show that there's love so you know um (laughs) just testing the theory when I'm not here in the morning you'll know why That was a joke. You just need love. Um, Anyway, so we've got this title. Every single one of us has been given an opportunity. What is yours? When I was in my prayer cave, the Lord was asking me to put down some of my responsibilities that I have been putting down with my church leadership responsibilities. I had a lot of local management executive responsibilities, and the Lord was saying, okay, Helen, you need to put that down because I want to put something else in your hand. Things like this, coming to places like this, other things that don't necessarily involve me staying in Watford. And I knew that that was happening on a principle level, but it needed to happen in a heart level. I needed to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to take the opportunities that you give me. I'm going to make the most of what you give me. And I had to do this transaction in my heart. The beautiful thing of this story is there's a celebration. 
And one of the phrases of this whole conference is about cultivating joy. There is joy that comes when we're obedient and faithful stewards of what's in our hands. Now, most of us, if we're honest, we can look at this story and we think, oh, wow, there's a party to come. It's going to be multiplied. And we go straight to the end. We go straight to what's ahead. And we look at, well, there's a party and it's going to be multiplied. Whatever I have, it's going to be multiplied. And the Lord is saying, look at not what's ahead, but what's in hand. I want you to be faithful with what's in hand because when you're faithful for what's in your hand, then I will look after what is ahead. Now, I want to lay one more story over this story, and it's another parable, and it's a similar parable, if not the same parable, but there's some subtle differences, and we'll just see if you can spot the subtle differences. It's not a test. Well, it is a bit. We'll see if you can spot the subtle differences. So if you've got your Bibles, if you turn with me to Luke's Gospel, and we won't read the whole of this parable because you'll get the point of it um, really quickly. It's just some of the differences I want to um, point out to you. So in Luke's chapter 19, we get a very similar story. And it might have been that this is the same story and the disciples were just capturing it in a different way. Or it might be that literally, um, you know, this was a familiar story and Jesus had a go-to story. But Luke 19, and we're going to begin from about verse 12. You'll recognize the familiarity. A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. So just pause. The first difference is there's ten servants and they're all given something. Every single one of them. And here they're given the same amount. No one could go, oh, he got more than me. It all got the same amount. Okay, verse 16. We'll jump on. So they, they you know, he went, they invested. Verse 16. The master's coming back. Is the first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are the good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. So you will be a governor of ten cities as your reward. Verse 18, the next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor of five cities. Verse 20, but the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I am a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least you could have gotten some interest out of it. Verse 24. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Did you see the differences? So some of the differences. Well, I pointed one out as we went. So there were 10 servants this time, and they were all given, you know, a pound each. So there was just a completely equal playing field here. They were all given equal opportunity. Now, in this, I don't know why only three get referenced back. What happened to the other seven? Like, what happened to the other seven? You see, there are people in our world who are gifted and entrusted with opportunity who are never coming into the house of the Lord. 
but they're still gifted with opportunity. I think these are the ones who just came back into the house, but that's my own theory. So here we have these three servants, and similarly we have the one who invested the most, he got the most reward, the one who invested the next got the next amount of reward, and the one who did nothing with it got that taken away. But did you see their rewards? This time it wasn't a let's celebrate together. What were they given? Cities. Cities. They were given cities. Governor responsibilities of cities. And here's the thing. And I don't, I don't want to just um, put this on Elim, because that, be, that would be wrong and not honoring the um, privilege of holding the microphone. But I feel this for this time. There are cities. There are cities that you will be governing. By that, I mean influencing, bringing civic leadership, changing the culture, changing the tone, changing the feel. Jesus said, didn't he, that we as his people, as Christ followers, are the cities on the hills. The lights that can't have a bushel or a basket or a covering put over. Lights that shine. Now, the beautiful thing about a city on a hill, it is like a blueprint. So imagine, and in fact, we've walked past. There's a church just up here that's on a hill. It's not just up here. It's just near where we're staying. Anyway, there's another. Don't, I'm not just dissing an Elim church because we're not on a hill here. But there's a church just outside the, near the hotel where I'm staying. And it's like it's set on a hill. And I walk past it going, look, it's a city on a hill. Because churches, as communities, as Christ followers, we are called to be cities on a hill. We're called to be a blueprint. You see, when the world wants to know how to run education, they should look at the church. They should look at the models within the church of how education can happen. When the world wants to look at how marriages can survive and thrive, they should look at the marriages in the church because of how we're surviving and thriving. When they want to look at families and how families can come together and how generations can come together, they should be looking at the church because Christ, the Father, wants the church to be the city on a hill like the blueprint for the world to copy. So when in these stories there is governing responsibilities of cities, it's because the Lord longs for his people to influence the cities, to bring leadership to the cities, to bring solutions to the problems. And this is one of the things that is the hallmark of our human existence in so many ways, why we're positioned on planet Earth. Remember way back into the beginning stories, the narratives of Genesis, and the Adam and Eve were commissioned to rule and reign over the earth, yes? That situation is basically saying, okay, you're going to rule and reign, so you're going to find some problems out there, and you're going to bring solution to them. You're going to find some challenges, and you're going to bring answers. There might even be chaos. You're going to bring order, because you're going to be ruling and reigning. That is what humans have been positioned for, to be able to rule and reign in the world. Are you with me? So here we have got... The lazy servants, three times over, twice over, in both stories, the lazy servants were not willing to risk it. We're not willing to look at a problem and bring a solution. We're not willing to look at some chaos and bring some order. We're not willing to look at a challenge and bring anything to it to say, what can I do with this talent I've been given? What can I do with this opportunity I've been given? But God is longing for his people to say, okay, I see an opportunity here. 
and I'm going to risk it. I'm going to take a faith step here. I see that person at the bus stop who's crying. I'm going to risk it. I'm going to go to that person and say, can I pray for you? Are you okay? Is there anything I can do to help you? When you see the crisis that's going on in your workplace, do you risk it and say, I've got an opportunity here. I've got an opportunity to serve into this context, to be light in the dark place, to be the light on the hill. Remember, in the same time as being the light in the dark place, Jesus said, you know, if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. Whereas salt, when salt is salty, can be used for so many things. Do you know what salt can be used for? Salt can be used for the kind of the, the sanitizing, the disinfecting. In the olden days, when they didn't have fridges, meat and products that would go off really quickly were rubbed in salt because it would preserve and kind of bring a sanitizing to it. Salt brings out flavor, right? If you've ever had, oh my gosh, we had rosemary flavored chips today. Who knew that existed? But you know, if you've got some chips and you put some salt on top of them, if you put a little bit on, it can bring out the flavor and it's good and it's it's good. If you put too much on, oh my gosh. So you just want just enough to bring out the flavor. Salt can bring out the flavor. We are meant to be in the world bringing out the best flavor of the world, making the world be the best version it can be because we are transforming and bringing that renewal, yes? Salt was also used for medicinal purposes. It was to make that which is sick better. Now in my house, um, so I am not medically trained. You're just about to know this if you're a medic from what I say. But pretty much any owie in my house, oh, just use salty water. My kids are going, oh, I've got an ass at salty water. I've got a scratch, just salty water. I am a salty water mother. If, we, you know, if salty water can't fix it, we'll look at it afterwards. But salty water is your first option. We even had one of my family members had a bit of an eye infection. And I was like, salty water? Just diluted, diluted a little bit of salt, not a lot. But you'd think, clearly there's some doctors in the house, because eventually we went to the doctor. And um, no, like it wasn't eventually, but it was the same day. And um, the doctor said, yeah, don't use salty water, that will sting. <laughs> it's like a wound if you don't use too much. But anyway, salty water, it was to make people better and to bring healing. Salt was also used in those days. Brace yourself for this, because you are compared to salt. In fertilizer. I you know, we have to be careful with the language we use. Salt was used in fertilizer to make that which was put on the crops help the crops to grow even more. You can work out what your part in the fertilizer is. <laughs> but it is to enhance. So here we have the master is giving his servants talents opportunities and he's wanting them to be the city on the hill he's wanting them to be the salt he's wanting them to see the problem and bring the solution he's wanting them to make that which is not great make it better but instead one of the lazy servants couldn't be bothered couldn't be bothered to risk it couldn't be bothered to have a go couldn't be bothered to try and use the opportunity that is was in front of him now, if we're honest, and it's good to be honest, if we're honest, there's a lazy servant in all of us. Just saying it as it is, there's definitely one in me. If I think of the opportunities I've turned down because I felt scared, inadequate, couldn't be bothered, wanted to watch a movie instead, or 
I don't know what it was or for what the reasons were, but there have been so many times I've turned opportunities down. There have been times when I've walked past someone on the street and I've just seen on their face that they're struggling. You know, when you can just see that someone's burdened by life and I walk past thinking, oh, I wonder if they need anything. And I keep walking, go, I wonder if they need anything. What good is that? That's not bringing light or salt or health or health. That's not taking the opportunity that Jesus said, oh, Helen, I just put you by that person. See, what will Jesus do? Well, he will bring along another faithful servant who will see the opportunity. And not only will they help them, but they'll help them as well. Because, well, I know that I can rely on you, so I'm going to help you. We had it in our church, this is some time ago, um, you know, you, you might have similar problems or you might have this locked and nailed down and just perfect. But, but we had a visitor and um, I was speaking to the visitor and I'm not always the best person to welcome new people because I have other people who are also wanting to speak to me. And so then I can get interrupted, which is really not helpful to the new person because you're trying to do that. I also don't want me to be the only person the new person speaks to because I might be speaking the other next week or I might be off somewhere else the next week and then they come back and the one person they connected with, well, she's not here again, so what's going on there? So whenever I speak to a new person, I will always want to connect them with as we call them, a wellspringer. So our church is called Wellspring. So with, with a wellspringer, we, I want to connect them with some other person so that next week there's another friendly face that they can go, how have you been? Or there's somebody in the week who could meet them for coffee. Anyway, there's one time I was in church and I was speaking to this person and I wanted to introduce them to another person in the church. And so I just called this person over and they were, they were free and I said, hey, Josh, come over. It wasn't Josh. But I said, hey, Josh, come over. I just want to introduce you. Could you just take them down for coffee? And they went, oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm busy. I went, oh, Okay, no problem at all. Trying to look really like, oh, no problem at all. Of course you are, silly me. Called over the next person. Can you come? Of course I will. Of course I will. And they went down, they had coffee, and they connected. I will never ask Josh again. You can guarantee I will never ask Josh again. Not to be my first point reference. I will go straight to, in this case, a lady called Nafisa. And I went to her, and she was like, yeah, come on. They're probably best friends now, these people, you know, and they're just living life. The Father gives opportunities. He says, come on. Let's go on an adventure. Let's do something. He trusts you so much that he's given you abilities with instruments. He's given you abilities with connections with people. He's given you a love for gathering people around to bringing a whole house full to feeding 5,000 people in your home. He's given you this passion and this ability. He's given you an opportunity. What are you doing with it? Because, you know, the Lord wants to bring more cities under your care and influence. And by cities, I think here in Ireland, we can also read villages and towns. I think we can also read schools and hospitals. I think we can also read fire departments and police departments. I think we can also read councils and councillors and parliamentarians and politicians. I think all of this can come into the remit of what a city might have meant in those days. It is leadership, influence, responsibility by serving, by being a light, by being salt. Is this making sense to you? There are some churches here 
I don't know which ones. There are some churches here who I believe will be given responsibilities of other areas of influence in towns near you because you are being faithful with what you have. There are some families here who are going to be given responsibilities of influence and care for other areas of influence because you're being faithful with what you have. There are some individuals here who I believe are going to be given greater influence and opportunity in places of employment in particular because you are being faithful with what you have. And there are some people here who the Lord is saying, it starts now. Come on, it starts now. You might have missed the opportunities that have come to date but the grace of the Lord is so huge. His love is so amazing. And our time, unlike in the story, has not run out. If you've got breath, if you've got a pulse, then it starts now. And I know Jesus is here. I know he is. The tangible presence of the Spirit was here from the very first moment I arrived on whatever day it was. I don't even know today now. But whatever, did we just start yesterday? Okay. So just yesterday, the tangible presence of the Lord in this place. He is here. And he is inviting you into fresh opportunities. He is inviting you to receive new gifting. He is inviting you to receive fresh anointing, fresh grace. He's inviting you to let down and put down all of the regrets from all of the missed opportunities in a thing that we called repentance. Big, ugly church word, repentance. It just means saying sorry. I am sorry, Lord, for what I've carried that I shouldn't have carried and what I didn't pick up that I should have done. This was me in my prayer cave saying, I am sorry, Lord, for what I have carried that I've carried too long. Or I'm sorry, Lord, if I've held on to a position or an attitude that has just got in the way because I want what you want to put in my hands. I want to be faithful with what you want to put in my hands. This is your invitation today. And I know that I've talked about cities to come. But the invitation is to focus on what's in your hand and know that he will look after what's ahead. Because when we focus on what he has put in our hands, then everything that is ahead will be sorted, cared for, and well within our capacity because we will grow with the capacity of the gifts he's given. Is this making sense? So in a little bit, the band will come. Not yet. Stay, stay planning. <laughs> in a little bit, the band will come. But Jesus is here. All of us, as I said, have a little bit of the lazy servant in us. And we're wisest if we just admit it. As in, let's not pretend that we're all that. Well, I've never been lazy. Let's, you know, if you've never missed an opportunity and you genuinely have never been lazy, like, tell me, and we will celebrate you right now. But for the rest of us humans, we're gonna, I'm going to go on the assumption that we've all missed some opportunities sometimes. And we've all been like that lazy, lazy servant, so afraid that we've kind of buried our talent. But you see, the Father wants us to know afresh that he loves us, 
that he trusts us. Have you ever thought about that? The king of kings wants you to know that he gives everyone gifts and trusts you with it. He chooses you. He trusts you. So maybe we need to doubt our doubts and choose to trust him more. Jesus has come to restore in us this human vocation of being able to solve problems, to come with solutions, to take the opportunities and create from it. Jesus is here to awaken gifts that have lied dormant in you. Some of you have had passions from your teenage years that have laid dormant, but have never gone away. You know that nagging thing that's just reminding you what you buried? And some of you, the Lord is saying, do you know what, I want to awaken some dreams, some things that you've long forgotten. I want you to get back out from under the ground. A friend of mine um, in Watford, she's a great musician. I say that I've never heard her play. But she's an amazing musician. She's got phenomenal instruments and fancy instruments, not just like, oh, nothing. They're all fancy. But, you know, like things like electric cellos and electric gadgets that you haven't, like, she's an amazing musician. And um, she's kind of buried that talent out of insecurity for a long time. And the Lord has just gently been saying, hello. <laughs> And she's been thinking, oh, maybe, maybe. And what she's doing right now is she's going to the band practice. And the first time she went to the band practice, I love this. This is faith in action, okay, right here. It's not a big glamorous story, but it's faith in action. The first time she went, this amazing musician, to the band practice, she didn't take her instruments. <laughs> Just so that she could feel her way back into what it is to be in that context. So they couldn't put her on the spot and say, oh, show us what you can play. Like, she didn't even have her instruments. Oh, should I have brought her to band practice? <laughs> the second time she messaged me, she said, I'm going back to band practice today. Are you taking your instrument? No, I don't think so. Okay. Then she messaged me from band practice. Oh, I'm here at band practice. I brought my instrument. Come on. Let's get this talent out from the ground and let's bring it as worship to the Lord because he's worthy. We don't have to be the best. We just have to come as we are. And some of you have been sitting on some things and the Lord wants to lovingly remind you and say, sweetheart, I've invested in you because I trust you with what I've invested in. And it's time. It's time to bring me some glory. You might be a songwriter. You might be a poet. You might be a dancer. You might be... Um, an accountant, you might be, you might be great with math, you might be great with science, I don't know what your talent is, I just know you've got some, and it's time to use it for God's glory, so where you are, maybe just close your eyes, I wonder if the band could, could come up, <clears throat> just where you are, I want you to close your eyes, this is personal, it will get collective, because we're family but right now it's personal I want you to ask the Lord what is the talent you've put in my hand right now not what 
might come, but what right now, what is the opportunity? And if you can't feel an answer, because, you know, sometimes when we ask the Lord for things, we'd, sometimes we hear the answer and it's in our own voice, that that's fine. But if you get nothing, you're getting nothing, then push in a little bit more and say, Lord, maybe a picture of it or a sudden word reminder or a memory will come up. Push in. Every single one of us has a talent of that, I'm sure. Every single one of us has an opportunity. What's yours? I want to encourage you, if you are aware of something that you have buried and not used, if you know that you, you would be the lazy servant, then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer that I'm going to pray. And just where you are, you can do it silently or with a bit of sound, however you feel the most comfortable. But if you feel like you've missed opportunities, then I just want to encourage you, pray what I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you that you give talents and opportunities. And I know, Lord, that you've given me opportunities that I have not made the most of. And I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that I have wasted some time and wasted some talents and not used them. And I ask that you would forgive me and that we can start over. Help me start over, Lord. Father, I thank you that you give talents to every person, opportunities to every person. And I thank you that you choose to trust us. I thank you that you choose to trust me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just move around this room and freshly anoint that as people pour out to you, you would fill them to overflowing. I pray for visions to erupt. Words of knowledge, fresh reminders, prophetic utterances. Lord, in this place, fresh anointing for opportunities and talents that are kingdom given for kingdom glory. Now I want to encourage you to do something that is brave and a little bit more accountable to the people that you're here with, if I'm honest. I believe that there's a kingdom moment here for stepping into the opportunities that the Lord has prepared for us. And I want to encourage you to do that actively, not passively. By that I mean I want to encourage you to either come to the front or come down the central aisles, but to move from the position you are to say I'm stepping into the opportunities that are in my hands, that are in my access, 
that are within reach. And I want to start now into the purposes that the Lord has for me in fresh ways, to work more intentionally, to live more intentionally in fresh ways. And I want you to be able to just move because it increases choice. It also helps the people near you know that you've moved because these are the people who are going to help you, cheer you on, champion you, hold you to account, that you can nudge each other and say, how are you doing with your talents? And it's not just personal then, it's collective because this is fellowship. This is, we are being Elam together and we need to hold each other to account because in time there is transformation of others. So just, why don't we all stand? It will make it easier. We're going to sing something in a minute. But if you want to come to the front, if you want to fill the aisles, this is a moment we're going to pray for fresh anointing. We're going to pray for fresh revelation, but we're going to choose to step in. I think you've got a few minutes before you've got to collect your kids, so let's, let's stay in this moment. I promise we'll end on time for those who need to watch the time. Step into this fresh opportunity. Just where you are, just move out, find some space. We don't need to be afraid of anything. We don't need to be afraid of looking foolish. We don't need to be afraid of what the person thinks to our right or our left because in fairness, they should be moving too. Holy Spirit, we know you're here. And I pray right now for fresh outpouring of your spirit, for an anointing, 